speed up, but look on the ASA. My gosh, they're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. As always, my name is Andy and we've got the Breaking News Podcast. I say breaking, it broke last night if you're listening to this on the Friday the 28th of May, but we got another drop from Mr. Jeremy Corbell and Mr. George Knapp. Joining me to discuss is Dan. How are we doing, Dan? Uh, I'm great, thank you, Andy. Uh, what I'm not going to do today is uh, ruin ruin the next announcement. What's the next announcement? I'm just oh. going to leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and who's this? Uh, we also have another UAP Media UK member, Graham Rendell, joining us. Graham, how are we doing today? I'm doing fine, Andy. How are you doing? You okay? I am warm. It is it is warm in the studio slash shed. Uh, but yeah, all good. Obviously, we've gave it uh, a couple of hours to digest and settle with the, the news last night. So to set things up, folks, you no doubt have seen by now. Jerry McCorbell mentioned a few days ago there was going to be another drop. 12pm PST, high noon, as he likes to call it over on his Instagram and then other accounts follow very shortly after. So I was frantically wearing out my phone screen last night just before 8pm UK time, not 7pm for a lot of folks who were trying to figure out we're eight hours ahead just now. It was refresh, refresh, refresh and eventually bang, there it goes, radar footage. So um, some of us sort of suspected it was going to be something relating to what we had already seen. But For me personally, and we'll get to this, I don't think it disappointed. Jeremy Corbell had managed to obtain, along with, and this is something I'm going to ask you guys about what you think as well, along with George Knapp, potentially, maybe. They have a bit of a partnership on the go, it seems, uh, although Jeremy was the first to announce. um, Some radar footage to go along with the USS Omaha incident from July 2019. First thoughts when you saw it, Dan, what were you thinking? I'm going to be a gentleman. This is Graham's first time on the podcast, so Graham, oh. take it away. Oh, I was going to do that as well, and I thought, no, Dan might get upset. That's the one. <laughs> Hold on. So, uh, yeah, first impressions. It was. It seemed unprecedented that you got, um, rather than just some grainy footage from a FLIR video, you had radar information, and it was unfolding in real time at the time, obviously. Um, but also there was a soundtrack with it as well, so it gave it a little bit more context. Now, having said that, it was tinged with the fact that it, the context the context really wasn't there. You didn't really know what exactly was happening and what had led up to it and what led up, uh, what happened afterwards. But yes, I was I was quite impressed, um, I, and I really wanted to dig into it and find out much more about what was actually happening because there was a lot going on. It was the, the footage was quite dark in a way that you couldn't quite determine exactly what was unfolding. So you had to really examine it closely and also listen to the commentary. So there was quite a lot going on, quite a lot to digest. So that happened afterwards. I couldn't take it all in straight away. Dan, what about yourself? I'd agree with Graham. It was a lot to take in because there are a lot of systems there that, you you know, 
I, I, I do drawings. I don't look at radar screens for a, for a living, you know? Um, so we're kind of unpacking that still with, you know, with Jeremy kind of doing interviews with George Knapp. Um, and there was some really interesting details in that interview that kind of expanded on the story that's on, um, extraordinarybeliefs.com, Jeremy's website. Um, one of which where he specified and that there were two waves, um, Stop me if I'm getting anything, any of this wrong, by the way. But it's my understanding that there were two different waves. Um, and basically that during one of these waves, there was a UAP positioned over each ship whilst the others, and these are Jeremy's words, and they kind of made my hair stand up, whilst the others were swooping around, almost playing nearby, which is very curious to me. If they're, if they're drones, you know, why are they being programmed to look like they're playing around? Yeah, there was a, there was a lot to take in with it, like you guys say, and instantly you look at it and go, okay, yeah, radar, because we've all seen movies from the the seventies onwards. We've all seen Hunt for Red October, or I mean, Independence Day, anything with a bit of military footage on the go. It's like, yep, that's classic radar. But for most of us, that's kind of as far as things went, because after that, you you don't know too much what you're looking at. There was some some little bleeps on the screen, some dots, some lines, and. We just knew something was going on. Um, at the end of the video, there were nine targets on the screen, which for the clip we got, it was three or four pieces of video inter interlaced or spliced together to make like a 45-second clip. Dan, is that right? Four? Four? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Four, four different ones. Um, Gaddy Schwartz from NBC uh, posted them all separately and kind of asked for some experts to reach out so that they can uh, digest it in a news piece, which is, which is going to be great. But yeah, um, you know, on video, I think it was nine targets at once, some of them dropping yeah. on and off radar. And I think it's important to understand that we're looking at the readout from the uh, X-band radar. So that radar in particular has a ceiling and a floor, the floor being the sea, basically. The ceiling, Jeremy said he's not sure about the exact altitude, but at a certain point, the air radar takes over and it will be on a different radar. So what we're looking at when we see contacts drop off the screen is one of these contacts either going above that range or below. Now, we have seen in another video one of these spheres going below that contact range, and we know that they, the USS Omaha engaged a submarine in the search. So it suggests that that contact floor was used as opposed to the ceiling, um, and that suggests transmedium capabilities, which, as we know, is one of our observables. Very, very interesting. Now, yeah. as you say, nine warships experienced the same thing. Um, right away, a lot of the chatter was around the fact that how has this came out? And I, I did tweet because something that came out with a debrief chatter along with Tim and some other people when we spoke to them, Dan, was that these pilots are being encouraged to take pictures and film this stuff by whoever. I'm not going to say superiors because that's me just guessing, but there are people telling these pilots to do this because it means it's an easier way to get footage or stills out without having classified systems there or you know anything that they shouldn't have. Um, so I thought at first it was just with a really good camera phone, but it turns out there was a special crew called in. Graham's shaking his head. Graham, yep. stop so, me. No, that, that, you're definitely right. I'm, I can give you the details for them if you like. 
Or do you want to, to go on? Because it's basically on. they're called a they're called a viper team. No, so please, vi- please, please. Yeah, they're called. It's a visual information personnel team. So that's different from the Snoopy team, who basically operate outside the skin of the vessel, if you like, from outside, who take pictures um, from outside. Where the, these people do it inside, and all they're looking for are unusual and um, sort of dangerous events which are unfolding from inside the ship, and they use that information for future, you know, for future reference for. Um, for even like court cases or anything like that. But this is a particular kind of event that they would be employed to do. So they're taking footage inside the vessel of the screens so that they've got a record of what happens. Can, can I ask, Graham, do you, do you know, do all these vessels have Viper teams or is it more that there seems to be this team that was put in position you know, there's there's your sixty four thousand dollar question. Nobody really knows at the moment that even the the existence of a Snoopy team wasn't really that well known before they were sort of announced, if you like. So I certainly wasn't aware of them, and I wasn't aware of a Viper team. They obviously exist, but how widespread they're deployed and under what particular circumstances, that's another question, and I'm afraid I can't answer that. So. But they were there. They were certainly on the spot for this, whether they were t- they turned up advanced because they knew something was going to go on or whether they just happened to be, as you say, they're embarked upon on the ship you know, routinely. I don't know that answer to that question. Maybe something we should ask Sean or some of the people. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious because we know it was a multiple event. You know, there's multiple waves. So yeah. the first one could have experienced, been experienced with no Viper team for all we know, you know? Of yeah, course, that's yes. what I was going to ask. That was one of the first things on Twitter was how how were they there to film this? Um, and that was a totally fair question by a lot of people. But like we, you say, it's not a case of this happened in, in half an hour and it was gone. We don't know. Were they close enough that someone could make their way out to the vessel? Were they called out? Were they already on the vessel? It lends credence to conspiracy theories that they're attracting these things deliberately or knowingly. So they're there waiting for it. But uh, yeah, Graham, on you go. Yeah, it's just a, an Omaha is a very small ship. You have to remember it's about the size of a Corvette. It's a lot small. It's smaller than a destroyer in a frigate. There's only maximum probably about 75 crew on board, uh, 35 of which are interchangeable mission specialists, depending on what type of role um, that kind of vessel actually does, because it can, it can perform a few functions. And there's only about 40 uh, core crew on board one of these ships. So there's not many and they're quite small. So having a team specially to record things like that, that might be a case of where they're just specially deployed. I'd say I don't know, but it would lend, you know, the idea that there's so few people on board one of these vessels and you would have a maybe one or two people like engage in just doing that. That would suggest that they might be specially deployed for, for this kind of event or this kind of mission. But they also could be just multitasked. They might do something else on board the ship and might do this when they're needed. So, the, the, you know, there's a various questions regarding that. If anyone was wondering why Graham was on the podcast along with myself and Dan, that sort of expertise and detail is exactly why he's came on to to drop that kind of stuff in there for you. So that's really good to know. Like like you say, there's a I imagine or this is probably not true, so don't go away and, and quote this folks, but there's like one of these devices to film and break glass in case of emergency. And this team get told, Okay, yep, some UFO stuff going on in the radar and they smash the glass, bang, and they're allowed to film it. So maybe there's something similar on board, like you say 
where it's a multi-skilled, multi-task team, and it's a case of okay, in this situation, we're going to allow you to do this other job. So, but yeah, that's something we'll try and reach out and find out as well, uh, and see if any more information comes out on we, that. Have we brought the conversation to assigned and unassigned responsibilities and the Pentagon oh. statements? Potentially. Um, I did have that in my emails, actually, but it seems to have been deleted, so I don't have that information to hand. Dig, dig, dig. Um, so, yeah, one thing that jumped out for me straight away um, was the 138 knots, and I went straight to the Google machine, and Google told me that it was around 158 miles per hour, which was uh, kilometers per hour, like 180, is that right? Someone tell me right or wrong, I can't remember, for, for anyone who's like using kilometers per hour. like 220 or something like that. That, I think. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So again, speed-wise, it seems pretty fast. But fair point. People commented because I googled also how fast does the world's fastest drone go, and that goes around 178, 179 miles per hour. So I think that's where I've got that number from. However, well, it's the context of where these things are and yeah. the fact they are not small drones; they're six-foot spheres. Say that when you're drunk. Self-illuminated too. You know, we we have flights lasting longer than an hour, which isn't, you know, that's not crazy. We know there are long endurance, fixed wing drones and things like that. But these these things, are, you know, to use the words they used, swarming the ships, um, the, the movement exhibited uses a lot of energy. You know, these big speed bursts and kind of stick it around the ship as it's moving along, which would be moving along. Would it be fair to say, Graham, it's moving along a, a, a good clip anyway? Yeah, it depends. I mean, the ships can probably can break. I'm not sure entirely what the specs are for um, for this kind of vessel, but they can certainly do more than sort of 15, you know, 10 to 15 knots sort of thing. Um, so they're going along quite quick for a warship. Uh, they probably can go faster. I mean, I can look it up, but I haven't actually got the figures to hand. But certainly in terms of how quick they're going, that, that's not the problem. Um, you're talking about drones and, you know, swarms. The Chinese do actually have a mothership drone. Uh, I've written about this for the debrief. Um, they have a, 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 a like a mothership which can release up well in tests. They've certainly released half a dozen drones for one, and they're quite small. But you don't need much to actually sort of overwhelm um, a group of ships in terms of you know f- fire control radars and and all the, all the associated defence mechanisms. Um, and also you can you can have uh, various things built into these drones if that's what they are. So you can have electronic countermeasures which are jamming or spoofing uh, kind of equipment. Some of them apparently can carry small missiles or bombs. And they could also potentially, I suppose, relay targeted information to missiles or cruise missiles coming in over the horizon, fired from somewhere else. Because you know that, that's another possibility which has been mooted by, by various people uh, and analysts. So there's a whole range of things going on if they're a foreign adversary. Now, obviously, we're not sure that's the case. And that's the debate, isn't it? And is it not quite unlikely, though, Graham, that this is a foreign adversary flexing their muscle in this way? Because to have a technology that we're not saying, obviously, it's, it's, it's alien and anything like that, but to have this technology that's clearly superior to a lot of what we're aware of, um, performing in the way it is just, but let's say it's Chinese buzzing about, you know, US warships, and illuminating and hovering over them and then swooping about it just seems to be that's that's not something you would do because it's almost flexing your muscles in a very very obvious way is that not 
It's certainly true. Yes. I mean, the, the last thing you would do in times of peace would be to o- openly demonstrate what you have in, in that manner. Um, so I'm not suggesting that's what they are. I'm, I'm just offering it as a kind of, you know, a, an option, but a maybe unrealistic option. Um, the fact that, you know, they've been seen going into the water, transmedium travel is not something that you normally associate with drones. They may have some capability. I mean, obviously, ballistic missiles can be fired from a submarine from about 40 foot down. They go through the water the, the rocket motor ignites that they go through the air and go into like low earth orbit before they come back down so you can do it but not to the point of where they're going to hover over ships they're going to move around they're going to you know go at quite slow speeds they, they these kind of, and, and then go with the water and possibly re-emerge now these kind of capabilities are beyond what we would no, normally associate with drones even the cutting edge stuff that people have read about and, and but you just wonder if that's the case, if they, if it's like the Chinese or the Russians do have this kind of equipment, then NATO and, and the U.S. Navy might as well pack up and go home, basically, because I can't, I don't even know if they've got the kind of defences to be able to, you know, sort of defend their the ships against those, those kind of equipment, that kind of equipment. If you can do that kind of thing, then you wouldn't need many more to overwhelm, um, you know, a small group of ships in terms of their defences and their capabilities. Uh, I would have thought they're, they're probably quite, quite worried. Um, if that's if that's what they think they are, they must be scrabbling to try and maybe come up with some kind of countermeasures if they haven't done so already. But then the question is, if they're not those, and that's as you say, that's probably quite unlikely. Bear in mind what they're what they're showing, what they're demonstrating. So what are they? And that's the uh, that's the big question, isn't it? Speaking of um, defenses, um, it's worth noting that in his interview with George Knapp. Um, Jeremy Corbell said that not during this incident, incident, but during other incidents during these waves, <clears throat> anti-drone uh, countermeasures were deployed and used, um, and they were found ineffective. So you can imagine what kind of you know money and technology goes behind the the anti-drone countermeasures um, on a ship like that. You know, it, it's not we're, we're not talking the the local police in Gatwick Airport all over again. We're talking if those things were drones, they probably would have been knocked out of the sky by by those anti uh, those measures. You're talking Wayne Enterprise technology there, aren't you? You know that's uh, off off the books kind of stuff that is no doubt quite impressive to to hear about what it might be able to do. But yeah, like you say, pretty. <clears throat> interesting not a new incident but we got more detail and for what might be the first time the electro optical data or the radar data or as some people again like myself are proper layman to this like a, like the sensor data as we they tend Sen- to label it. sensor data is correct jeremy did correct himself on twitter um the electro optical data is to do with capturing light uh, whereas what we saw was sensor data I knew he was wrong. No, I didn't. Um, but yeah, I tend to label this always as like sensors because for me, that's the military tech, okay? And for most people, I think that's more than enough anyway at that at that level. So we've got the extra, but it's never enough for a lot of people. So I think when we get these initial um, photographs, if, if say for tomorrow we got the black triangle coming out the water, then okay, where's the video? And then if we got the video, okay, where's the data? And here we are finally getting an incident that started off as pictures, which Dan, you put the gift together. We then got a video, and now we've got radar that goes along with it, and it's still not enough for people. But I understand it's it's not the smoking gun people always want that we're not going to get, like I've said before. But for me, I was really happy with it. One other question that comes up is, 
okay, so this is another piece of footage dropped by Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp. Why them? Dan, the first thing I saw on Twitter was a lot of people questioning how they are getting a hold of all this stuff. And I say they, I mentioned this right at the start, are they, they are clearly working together in some respect. That sounds really nefarious and sinister, doesn't it? They're working together, but they, they do have a collaboration because one posts, George Knapp will follow up a few minutes later to say, yep, and Mystery Wire will have more details too. So they seem to be working together to drop the piece of footage, then drop an interview, then there'll be a follow-up from George Knapp. What do you kind of see going on there? I, I see a relationship that started... Um, from needing George's expertise and years of experience to verify what is, you know, outstanding footage from these events. Um, I'm, I'm glad we've got George involved because he's been in this community for a long time um, and he probably has a better, you know, BS right now than most. Um, he also is in a position where he's heard things and he can put puzzle pieces together um, and through the people he's met, you know, he can ask about, you know, what, what does that video show? Is this anomalous? Should I, should we be putting this out? And through that, I think they've just gained more and more traction and become the go-to guys for whoever wants these things out. Worth remembering as well that Jeremy said that a lot of this data he actually had, you know, last year and sooner than that as well. And he's just been verifying since then. Um, so you got to wonder if, Jeremy is less releasing it to the public and more firing shots about across the Pentagon's bow to kind of do this transparently. Yeah, I would ask people to go and watch that interview with Jeremy and George Knapp afterwards. There's a lot more context and data in there as well. But Graham, I'll come to you because like Dan says, Jeremy Corbell does seem to have less of a poker face maybe than some. He seems quite open about the fact in these interviews that I have more data than this and this is only some of what we have and like you say it's almost they're, they're, they're not talking to us when they say that necessarily that they're talking to someone else the way it seems to come across what are you what are your kind of thoughts on the Corbell nap relationship and I what's think coming it's, out yeah I, I think they do work closely together they're obviously working in tandem and they're coordinating their efforts to a certain degree but I think it also down, it possibly down to trust so they may have proved in the past that they can accept information they can be given information they can check its sources and they can release it um quite you know, sort of effectively but also honestly they're not trying to do anything as you say nefarious with it um so they can be trusted and i'm sure if that's the case then people will come to them as the, the sort of first port of call for subsequent releases and it may be that they're being used as a conduit by somebody to actually release this information um you know for a, for a greater good but we don't know that. But I think there is an element of trust involved that they've proved they've got a track record of being able to do that. And now they're the go-to guys to release this kind of information or to give the information to. They'll do the due diligence in checking sources and making sure it's kosher and all the rest of it. Now, it may not come with a chain of custody letter, uh, some have sort of suggested that it needs to prove it's, you know, it's been released um, correctly, etc. But they seem to be as far as they're saying, doing their own checks, et cetera, to make sure the information is accurate. Um, you know, it's not being sort of, uh, it's not coming out illegally, et cetera. Um, and of course, the Pentagon are then sort of backing it up by saying, you know, it is authentic. It's been released. It's unclassified, et cetera. So, yeah, so it's all good, really, as far as I'm concerned. I, I don't really see a problem with it. And really, if it hadn't been for that, if it hadn't been them, it would be somebody else. It could be Tim McMillan. 
um, or it could be somebody else entirely. It would be somebody who would get possibly the lion's share of the releases. It, it's almost a shame, isn't it? Because I look at people like Luis Elizondo and Chris Mellon, who looked at the rules in front of them and figured out how they could navigate this maze and get these videos out to us, um, but do so in a very, you know, in a way where we've got a chain of custody, we've got lose resignation letter. You know, these are things that can stand in court. Unfortunately, what we don't have with this release is those same chain of custody kind of things. Um, and we find ourselves in a place where, you know, one one portion is really trying to do this properly with the bills and kind of getting it through Congress and things like that. But then because the Pentagon isn't being forthcoming, we have this situation where people are frustrated and kind of pulling other levers and leaking things out and getting, getting these things out in other ways. And it, it's a real shame because we, we get to do this once and I prefer we do it right. So is that counterproductive then, Dan? Do you think what Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp are doing is necessarily the right thing? Yeah, we're getting footage, but is it long-term hindering the process? It's it's just one of those things, like, we found ourselves in this situation now, not through our own desire. You know, we, we wanted transparency from the get-go. But seven decades of just having the rug pulled over and over again when these FLIR videos exist, the ATIP exists, you know, that all those other investigations exist. People are fed up, and I totally understand why they go in that route. You know, it's it's just, like I say, it's unfortunate, but it's just the way it is. Listen, before I get some final thoughts from you both, and I've got a question to finish up on, uh, I just want to say I put a poll out on Twitter, and I, I put on there, look, personally, I love the new footage today, however, asking UFO Twitter, are you happy with the radar drop from Corbell and Knapp? We had 74.8%, so basically 75% of people said yes. Uh, only 185 said no, with 6.8% saying other. Some of can, the comments, Can I ask how yeah, many please? replied? Because this could be like one of those shampoo adverts where you're just fibbing to me through statistics, you know. Uh, as it stands, 444. Wow. Cool, thank you. With, with five hours left as well. So that's that's a good, what, th- more than 300 of the votes have, have come in. Quick maths. Um, Mesa Thlake guy said, yeah, I'm happy. It helps corroborate the video. A few years ago, I would have been grumpy about all these drops and saying, just drop it all together. But he thinks it's genius, keeps the conversation going, stops skeptics in their tracks and creates an avalanche of media. Um, Matt says, anyone upset with Jeremy Corbell for releasing this is missing the point. I don't care much for his social media buzz drops, but it's legit footage that we haven't had before. Enough said. James Jack, James is one of the Patreons over there, so hi James. He has said that he feels we need a detailed explanation together with what a radar scope with normal objects look like on it for comparison. Otherwise, he's afraid it's just a blind leading the blind uh, and then talks about potentially getting some of the raw radar data as well recorded at the time, which which is, which are totally fair points as well. It's just looking for that extra solid, let's, let's nail this down. Um, Muddy Bookprints, uh, he's happy we got some new info. These videos were inside the CIC. They weren't filmed with a smartphone. There was a team brought in and tasked to document it. Graham Rendell, never heard of the guy. Uh, he put, happy with the caveats regarding the lack of content, but I understand why that's not necessarily possible. 
saving up my negativity for the UAP Task Force report release. Winky face. <laughs> and a couple more. Um, Mr. Newton, lots of jumping. Great it's come out. More needs to be released. Uh, Jeff, fantastic supporting data and footage. It adds more detail to the bigger picture for sure. So it, it seems kind of overwhelmingly popular from, from what's kind of on there, but it's certainly by no means the perfect storm. Uh, but again, I think with a lot of these drops, we get what we get because there's still just enough ambiguity for those to argue either way what this may or may not be, which I can totally understand as well. But I would much rather have what we're getting that, than get nothing. What I would ask is, final thoughts on last night's UFO drop, gents? Start with you, Graham, since you're, uh, you're making okay. your debut today. So... I mean, looking in terms of perfect, you know, sort of footage, I mean, if you go back to the FLIR videos, they had their baggage, even though they had a, a chain of custody and they were about the best thing we'd seen since, well, never really. So I don't think you're going to get that kind of smoking gun um, footage that will satisfy everybody, but we're getting the, about the best we can at the moment. There is a lot of sensitive data on these sensor platforms that will never, ever be shared doesn't matter how much we clamor for it, how much we clamor for that context, we're not going to get it. So we basically just have to be satisfied with what we're receiving. Now, whether that comes in the form of a leak um, or some kind of drop where it's not entirely sure how much of the legality has been followed uh, to get it out there, that's another question for some for another time. But uh, yes, I think we should be thankful that people are going out of their way in whichever fashion to get us that information um we clamor for information all the time when we get it people are still not happy and that's going to happen all the time i'm afraid we can't we can't help that and it's never going to be solved so we just have to do the best that we can with what we have dan i'm, I'm going to use my final comment to to just address the other thing this week because the the ambiguity there is important as well um and that is that the the Black Vault this week released a big article um, talking about his... Now, if you don't know who the Black Vault is for listeners, he's someone who, since he's a teenager, he's dedicated himself to just going through the FOIA process and finding all sorts of interesting, amazing documents. And obviously, that's a skill that comes in handy with digging through UFO documents. So he's kind of, you know, on, on side with us digging through this stuff. And over the years... He's received a lot of the, the statements about uh, the DoD flip-flopping on whether ATIP had anything to do with UFOs, or UAP, as they, as they put it. Um, first of all, it was it had nothing to do with it. Then it was, yes, it did. Then it was nothing. Now we're back to, well, they did look at UFO reports, but it wasn't really about that as a whole. It was just a part of the program. Now, as part of this flip-flopping, something very, very shocking happened. And that is um, that Luis Elizondo, the program manager for ATIP, it has been found that the Pentagon have destroyed his correspondence. Now, they may just be lying and it's piled somewhere, but through the FOIA process, it looks like, I mean, there's a story as big as, you know, something like Watergate here, if this is true, and the Pentagon's been just shredding all the evidence to be able to say Luis Elizondo had no role here. And that's insane to me. So I just wanted to emphasize that as a, as a thread for people to keep pulling. Hopefully, if there are journalists listening to this, go, go, go. 
um and maybe just get your guys thoughts on it before we before we finish up graham what what did you yeah. think then uh, uh john's black vault article on I mean, the, the email if, stuff yeah if that's the case and there have been as you say trying to systematically destroy all traces of uh luis elizondo's correspondence when he was uh, a member of ATIP and also the program uh, program director, then you would also think they would have to go to all his uh, the, the inboxes of all the people he corresponded with by email, because that would be one hell of an effort to try and erase all traces of him, because people would still have things in their inboxes that he'd sent to them. So if that's the case, then that, as Dan says, that is nothing short of a scandal. Uh, I can't say what scale it's on, uh, but it is something truly amazing that they have gone or they are going to such lengths if true to try and erase his role so they can then turn around and say well he had no assigned responsibilities because he clearly believes, he says he does and he he may have evidence to prove that from what may be, is being said at the moment um so in terms of his uh, relationship with daniel sheehan the uh, the lawyer so we'll see what comes out with that but there's definitely interesting times ahead and it's one of these cases of that if they try if somebody's trying to control a, nag- a narrative in an organization then they basically deny things to start with and then they'll obfuscate and then they'll shoot the messenger at the end if, they, if nothing else works so it looks like that's what we're seeing from the pentagon uh, i could be wrong but that's what it looks like from from where i'm sitting yeah i think it seems like a they've panicked a little bit maybe when he's left and what can we do just to muddy the waters here a little bit um because it, you just need to put in that little shred of doubt don't you in any true story to have well what else might be a lie what else might be false about this and that that goes for anything that one little false falsity like the bob lazar story i think there's a lot to that but it just takes one or two little details that seem a little bit off and it just it tips the balance one way or the other potentially so yeah i think there's more to come and lou obviously commented on it himself and was very much unsurprised but letting us know that we'll see how this plays out going forward he seems quite confident that with potential legal action on the horizon we keep hearing about as well with with danny sheehan on board that he has a pretty good case and not just himself but other people too potentially as we're seeing quoted last question then gents Uh, thank you very much for joining me do you think we're going to get any more of this stuff before the task force report dan both Graham and I had exactly the same reaction there. If we were in the studio, you would see us nodding like two happy dogs. Um, yes, 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 yes. Absolutely, we'll see more. Um, this this is becoming an avalanche, and we're getting to the point where there's just such an abundance of evidence that there are anomalous readings um, that people are going to have to do something about it. Graham? Yeah, this is a sort of a snowball, which is just gathering more snow as it goes downhill. Um, it's going to get bigger and bigger all the time, and it's going to be harder to hide. And the media are going to pick up on it more and more, hopefully. And one more percentage, so just a number, Dan, a whole number, ideally. What are the chances that we get a picture slash video of a black triangle in the next four weeks? My my odds on that have been slashed recently, actually. I, I remember when we spoke to George Knapp, right? He said that all of his sources, as far as they know, said that that video or that photo doesn't exist. There are other photos and videos, and I think we'll get them. 
But in terms of that exact one, I'm going to say it to my lucky number 11 because I want it. I'm hopeful, but uh, it's kind of low. Okay. Graham? I'm not sure about the uh, the triangle coming out of the ocean picture from what uh, Dan says, and I've read elsewhere that it may not well exist. But in terms of a black triangle picture, maybe not in the next four weeks, but in the next year, uh, my head would say about 80% chance, and my heart would say 150%. I'd, I'd concur with Graham on that. Awesome. Gents, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Graham, welcome to your debut, and no doubt you will have you on again for these breaking news pods as they increase. Dan? top job as always well done for unmuting yourself to talk each time and (laughs) thank you everyone else for listening and no doubt you'll hear from us again very very soon Consider your heart, consider time, consider your space, consider your lies, consider your life.